This is a Stand Up Labs production, powered by digital media. Hey guys, this week we got a little bit of a different episode than we normally do. A little less notes, a little more conversational. Uh, I'll explain it at the top of the show. Thank you for listening. Stick around. Tori Sampson podcast coming to you live from Stand Up New York Labs in New York City. Hi, I'm Chris Flannery. I'm joined as always by Joseph Noe. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to the. We also got Evan producing the program. Evan, we appreciate it, bud. You can say hi to everybody. What up? There you go. Thank it's you. Classic. Uh, welcome to the program, everybody. Um, we got a little bit of a different episode than we normally do today joey uh i didn't take my regular notes nor did i do the research that i typically like to do i mean i did you know i did more than i thought i was gonna do but i did less than i normally do okay um tuesday night i had some bad personal news i had to put my dog to sleep my family dog stanley my sweet puppy and uh you know, that's a not a great thing. It's, you know, it's a bummer, and I just didn't uh, feel like sitting down and doing, you know, the podcast for four hours like I normally do, so. Yeah, I just want you to know that you have my condolences. Thank you, sweetheart. He was a dear friend of mine as well. Yes, he was. He loved you. You were one of his favorites. Every time you uh, came over, he'd greet you at the door. Very excited. Love Joey. Uh, yeah, thanks, dude. You know, look, I mean... We have a show. I'm not saying we don't have a show here today. We put together a show. It's going to maybe be a little more free form. Uh, here's the rundown of what we're going to get to. Brussels, obviously the Brussels attack. ISIS, you know, it's like mm-hmm. a little split update that I have. Global warming, SeaWorld. Hulk Hogan Gawker, ooh, ooh. which we fucking nailed last week or the week before. We were all over that. Uh, I got a 2016 update, some clips, things like that. And... um just briefly at the end, we can mention New York City finally had uh, mixed martial arts legalized, which is very exciting for me. Ooh, what a grand day. Yeah, that was exciting. I mean, that was, uh, yeah, good news, bad news on Tuesday. It was like, oh, good. Ronda Rousey will be in Manhattan. Oh, damn it. I have to put my dog to sleep. That hurts. Uh, but anyway, so that's, you know, that's how that day went. Let me see what I got here. All right. So it's going to be mostly conversation. Like I said, we have some quotes. However, Long it ends up being, that's how long it's going to be. And then next week, we'll get back to doing what we normally do. But I, I think we'll, we'll have probably at least an hour tonight. It, it should be a good one. All right. We got a couple of emails um, off the top. But before that, mm-hmm. two people answered our Trump challenge from last week, if you recall. Oh, that is awesome. We, we said that if people wanted to count how many times we said Trump, we'd potentially let them call into the program and uh, say their piece. Both people declined, which is fine. They were like, you don't have to have us call in, but they took different counts. So here's the first one we got okay. uh, from Chase. He said, hey, Chris and Joey. So I took the time to count the number of name Trump name drops in MSP 72. Uh, for Chris, we have 103 and a half. Well, you were busy. Yeah. For Joey, we have 12. <laughs> uh, this brings the grand total to 115 and a half, not including one where Joey refers to him as Donald and another time where Chris refers to him as the walking hairpiece, <laughs> which actually made me laugh when I read that. Uh, the point five comes from about the 1530 mark. And to be honest, this actually wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. And I might even be a couple off. Uh, you guys don't have to phone me on the podcast, but some stickers would be cool. I sent them to Chase. Yes. Um, and thank you for all you do on the awesome podcast. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Chase. You taking the time to to count that. That's a lot more than I thought. Yes. We also got one from Andrew uh, Sims. He sent to me a Snapchat where he has like a little post-it and he wrote it all down. Oh, look at that. And he says, I got 87 Trumps in the latest episode. LOL. <laughs> so somewhere between 87 and 115, let's say. That's how many times. But that's a lot more than I thought, Joey, right? Yeah. I was kind of surprised by that. So if we do it that much, just think about how much the media actually does it. Oh, sure. Two billion times worth. Uh, it's unbelievable. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's get to a couple of emails here before we get into any other stuff we have. Um, Chase also sent us an email 
regarding this Huffington Post article, which I told him I had read. And he says, I'm not too familiar with how the early voting works, but it seems like another ploy Clinton and the media have been using to spin how Bernie is losing when he's actually tying or beating Clinton in most primaries. If you have any thoughts, feel free to share. Uh, This is all pretty new to me. I'll just read you what I wrote to him. I Mm -hmm. said, uh, thanks for sharing this. I actually read it earlier today. I'm going to talk about this on the show tomorrow, meaning right now. Uh, But briefly, it's not really a ploy by Clinton. Early voting is part of the process, just like absentee ballots and things like that. However, the media failing to make it clear is on them. I don't know how much of a difference it would make to mention it, but it seems like they'd have uh, time to bring it up considering the wall-to-wall election coverage. Obama built up a huge lead with early voting when he beat Hillary for the nomination in 08, which is true, Mm -hmm. excuse me, and largely she's mimicking his strategy and it's working. Uh, Also, name recognition, as it points out in the Huffington Post article, uh, is a huge early voting factor, and obviously Hillary has a gigantic advantage in name recognition. That's kind of what he's talking about and what the article talks about. The early voting benefits her because everybody knows who she is. When Bernie starts campaigning and then they actually get closer to an election, people actually like him and they vote for him. But early voting obviously would disproportionately benefit Hillary. So Now, if only we could go back in time and give Bernie a little bit more name recognition. Well, you always, you keep saying that, but again, like that's the nature of the beast. Like yeah. Hillary, you know, had name recognition also when she, uh, um, you know, like when she. Hold on, I'm getting a fucking text. What? What is going on? Because uh, I don't know. The audio's off. I don't know why. Uh, maybe it's okay. There's nothing we can do about it on the video. I'm talking. About. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I I don't know what I was talking about. God, Joe, I said what you were gonna say. Oh, the name recognition yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, Hillary had name recognition against Obama. Yes, she did. And he beat her. It was just a good strategy. Um, Whatever. I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling. I kind of lost my place there. All right. We got an email from Mike. This is just a quick quick idea. He goes, I really enjoy the shows. As an episode idea is for half the show, you play devil's advocate on the politicians, uh, a.k.a. you disagree with Bernie, you like Clinton and Trump, while trying to refrain from doing a redneck hick voice for Trump supporters. Uh, I love that idea. I answered him. I told him that's a really good idea. Maybe we'll do a devil's advocate edition of the podcast where I will be a conservative Republican and we will, uh, Ooh, that sounds like fun. We'll play devil's advocate. That could be good. Or even just a segment. It might be a, a fun one. Yeah. Uh, that was from Mike. He says, we'll end this the same as the last big UK fan. As you got a chuckle out of it. Yeah. I'm picturing you as a giant UK <laughs> fan. That's uh, how I look at it. Um, all right. Got two emails from David. Quick, we're going to get through them and then we'll, we'll get on with the rest of what we got here. He goes, hey, Joey, Chris, the Samsonites and the Nobodies. Oh, yeah. It's everybody. hit <laughs> everybody. I love the podcast since I started listening this past summer. It's nice to hear informed people talk about politics who aren't part of the, quote, establishment media and could dare to have a controversial opinion. Enough feathering your nuts, he says, which is mm. very J-Train podcast of him. Uh, he says, I have a question regarding the powers that a president or the head of FEMA has in declaring a state of emergency. Would it be possible for Obama or any other president for that matter, such as Hillary or Trump, LOL, <laughs> or if the power lies with FEMA to declare a state of emergency in an effort to stop climate change? He was reading up about it. I don't know. I didn't really do a ton of research about it. I think in order for a state of emergency to be, de- to be declared. I think you still need Congress's permission to like redirect funds. Like mm-hmm. you can say there's a state of emergency, but without the funding from Congress, you can't really do anything. So you need congressional support to say, like say Obama tomorrow is like climate change is a, an emergency that we have to take care of right now. He'd still have to go to Congress for them to redirect funds from other places to put money towards that. And I don't even think that the FEMA budget would be big enough probably to like yeah. do anything there, but it's an interesting thought. I, I like, yes, it idea. is. I would also try to spin that into giving FEMA the legal mechanisms so they can help prevent or hinder the actual causes of climate change. Because to me, FEMA seems something more that helps with the aftermath more than preventing it. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, ideally FEMA, I mean, I mean, if you look at Hurricane Katrina, it ended up being something that could only do it after the fact because they just simply weren't prepared mm-hmm. before before the fact, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it should it should be something that you can use beforehand. Like, if you understand that a huge storm is coming or something, you start preparing and redirecting yeah. the money beforehand. But, right, I mean, 
you know, some things you can't predict and then you have to send them in and you, you're right probably to that extent. All right. So that's actually an interesting uh, question there. I like it. Maybe I'll do a little more research about it and we'll see. I uh, said your loyal listener and neighbor, David, he's from Woodcliffe Lake, which is pretty oh. close to where I grew up in Westwood. Uh, and then he also he sent another one. He goes, sorry for another email. Yeah, David, what is this, your podcast? Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. He goes, but I've got another question. I share your concerns and how our corporate news media operates. They put profits over providing reliable information and never call people out on their bullshit. However, I don't see a better option. As we've seen around the world, state-controlled media isn't the answer. It feels undemocratic and authoritarian to have the government decide uh, decide that, who is and who isn't allowed to own news media outlets. I really don't see a good way to do this. Let me know your thoughts. You got any thoughts on that, Joey? Uh, there was actually one state media that I do have a little fondness for, and that's the BBC. Sure. I, I feel that they do a great job of informing the public and producing news. However, I could understand the issues with other state media, such as North Korea, where everything would be uh, no, yeah, heavy-handed. Uh, right. It's, it's very uh, yeah, controlled. Exactly. It's very controlled and propagandistic is the word. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean... I, Look, I'd rather, again, like this is kind of the argument we always have, I'd rather have a government body running something theoretically because we have a control over that. We can't tell Rupert Murdoch how to run Fox News, whatever. We're not going to be able to tell him that. You could turn it off, but people aren't turning it off. They're watching it more than any other like cable news network. You know, It's a catch-22, but I mean, it used to be done. It used to be done before news was considered entertainment. It was a separate division that was the news division, and they were autonomous, and if they lost money, they lost money, but their job was to serve a public good. That's the rubric. It doesn't necessarily mean that that can't be done under corporate control, but it just means there's no appetite on the part of corporate media to do it because they want to make money that way. When you talk about state-run media or, you know, whatever, like the BBC, like you're talking about government-funded, um, they don't have to pull a profit, you know, which is another argument I think that gets lost in the shuffle a little bit with healthcare and things like this. Mm-hmm. Why does he- why does healthcare have to be something that is a profit-driven thing? How about it just breaks even or even loses a little money if you're just going to cover everybody in America? Like... Let it be a break-even scheme. You don't need to actually make money off that. Oh, but the health insurance industry is in between you and your doctor, and they've got to get a little payment going on, right? So that's mm-hmm. that's where that incentive comes from. Same thing with kind of the corporate media. Sell uh, Big Bang Theory and sell your fucking camera ads on that and leave the news alone because that's so much more important and relevant to everybody's life. Like, we need that to be something where you get real information from. You don't have to sell you know, cascade or whatever the fucking thing is that you're selling during the news. That's crazy. Why don't we just make the news 25 minutes, no commercials and then get back to your other bullshit. But like, at least let it be a real thing, you know? Yeah. At dinner, 25 minutes at dinner. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like the standard American dinner, you get your cheeseburgers and you, you watch the news and that's it. All right. Uh, I think we answered those questions. That's pretty good. Yep. Thank you for emailing everybody. Mandatory Samson at gmail.com. What, what do you think, Joey? Good, good start? I don't know. We're starting tough. You think we're starting? We're having a tough Strong. start? No, oh, no, no. oh, oh. I was going to say a tough start. <laughs> Jesus, you're, you're ruining it already. Uh, yeah, no, I know. It's just like, you know, I, I was like, eh, I don't want to do the show. But then I was like, no, people want to hear it. And I, obviously, there's going to be stuff that I want to talk about, like the Hogan Gawker thing mm-hmm. I absolutely wanted to get to. You want to know what I don't want to talk about? Sure. The Brussels attack. Well, that's what we're starting with. So I know. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it a little bit. It's okay. We, we got to get into it. We got to mention it a little. I'm just so sick and tired of the shit that's going on. Okay. Well, let's... All right. We're going to get into it right now. You ready? Mm-hmm. Uh, ISIS claims responsibility for attacks which killed 31, injuring 200 more, coming just days after the Paris attacker uh, on the run, the mastermind of the Paris attacker. We're not going to say their names. Fuck these guys. Uh, was arrested in Belgium. Um, I have an Obama quote here about the attack, and then I have a clip of the GOP candidates, like their response to the attack. Oh, that sounds like fun. It's all right. We will do, this is a Barack Obama. We will do whatever, we will do whatever is necessary. No, I'm not going to do it. Uh, to support our friend and ally Belgium 
in bringing to justice those who are responsible. This is yet another reminder that the world must unite. We must be together regardless of nationality or race or faith in fighting against the scourge of terrorism. We can and we will defeat those who threaten the safety and security of people all around the world. All right. Pretty generic. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, what's he going to say? Okay. This is Kasich, Cruz, and Trump. It's like a quick clip of them, uh, their kind of responses at little press conferences and things. So here we go. This is the GOP candidates responding to the attacks. Underscores that this is a war. This is a war with radical Islamic terrorism. ISIS has declared jihad on Europe and on the United States of America. And it is long past time that we had a president who will acknowledge this evil, will call it by its name, (laughs) and utilize the full force and fury of the United States to defeat radical Islamic terrorism, to defeat ISIS. If I were in Cuba right now, the last thing I would be doing is going to a baseball game. I would be going back to Washington and assembling all of my advisors and all of the leaders of the world, the civilized world, to say, okay, folks, we can't, we can't. <laughs> okay, do- folks, we need to kill ISIS. <laughs> lay any longer. This, this threat is growing more intense and bigger every day. And we're all in this together. And we need to work together to begin to address these problems and solve these and solve this issue. All right, but let me take you back to my question, Mr. Trump. What would you have done first as president of the United States if you got this call? Well, as president, I would I would do probably what I would have been doing for the period of time that I was president. I would be very, very tough on the borders, and I would be not allowing uh, certain people to come into this country without absolute perfect documentation. Uh, we're allowing thousands of people already, Matt, to come into our country. We don't have proper documentation. That's, we don't know where they're see, But coming. that's like a nonsense. Of course we have proper diet well, like what are you talking about of course we do mm-hmm. from they happen to be in the migration they happen to come from perhaps syria but nobody really knows yeah nobody has any idea you know here's the thing that i want to say about this and when our tone on trump is changing it's not going to be we're, we're not it's not even funny to entertain the ridiculous things that he's saying anymore now it's just an annoyance every day where this guy comes out and he's like your fucking idiot uncle that just has stupid opinions that you, you can't agree with and you know and instead of just being like, well, whatever, I won't see him until next Thanksgiving. It's like we see it every fucking day. And it won't go away. Yeah. First of all, we're talking about an attack on Belgium, okay? It has nothing to do with us letting refugees in, whether we're doing that or not. What does it have to do with anything? It's been, We're talking about Belgium. It's a completely it's, different country. It's talking points. With talking points, you're allowed to insert them at any topic. Yeah, you can fucking say whatever you want. And then he also, I had another quote where he says, we're going to do more than waterboarding which we talked about last week, yes. but it's like, oh yeah, that's probably the problem. We're not we're not torturing enough people in violation of the Geneva Convention. That, that's probably why this stuff is happening. Um, I want to say this, though. Trump did say something, and I mean, he's not the only person to say it, but he said it in a way of like, we need to get rid of Muslims, essentially, but his point was more generically that obviously there are certain people that are having a harder time assimilating into society because of their extreme religious beliefs, which I, I got to agree with that. I mean, I'm not saying that all Muslim people are like that. Of course, the vast majority are not. But, and there's, look, there's Christian people, there's fucking Hasidic Jews that have like really extreme views and they have a hard time assimilating too. But obviously the violence is coming out of ex- radical extreme Islam. You know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. where the problem is right now. Um, so yeah, that is something that needs to be talked about, and we talk about it on the show. It's not like that's not something that we we don't mention, but it also doesn't mean that I'm saying, oh yeah, we got to ban fucking everybody that that's Muslim. Like Ali Muhammad's Muslim, who does it in the conversation, he's one of the coolest people I know. He's like a real role model and a good dude. Do I think he's gonna like blow shit up and he's like some kind of extremist? No, of course not. It's not who we're talking about. But obviously, there is a percentage of people that are like that, and we gotta, you know stop it from happening. And I think that that's again, a a decades long process. It's not something you're going to stop militarily. It's an idea. It's a mindset. Mm -hmm. And it's also not allowing parts of the world to become so desperate that people have to cling to bad ideology. It's what we always talk about. Yes. Um, I was planning probably like a more complex presentation for this ISIS update I'm about to give, which I think kind of like flows well out of the GOP, uh, 
response to it because like i'm saying trump is talking about what we need to do in response we need to go after terrorists but i can make the point with some of these stats here and we're gonna get into it all okay. right these are headlines march 7th isis suicide bomb kills 60 south of baghdad march 12th isis chemical weapons attack injured 600 kills three-year-old girl march 19th u.s soldier killed by quote indirect fire near isis stronghold in mosul march 16th Evidence mounting that U.S. airstrike on ISIS camp in Libya killed Serbian diplomats held hostage, which might be something that we get into a little deeper on another episode. March 23rd, IS trains 400 fighters to attack Europe. March 23rd, ISIS uh, bragged its attacks would break up the European Union. And I actually have that quote. ISIS in their El Naba newsletter published weeks after Paris. The Paris raid has caused the creation of a state of instability in European countries, which will have long-term effects. The weakening of European cohesion, including demands to repeal the Shenzhen Agreement, which permits free traveling in Europe without checkpoints and security measures, which will cost them tens of millions of dollars along with mutual accusations from France and Belgium over security failings. What is When I read these, uh, again, I probably could have made this point better, but I think we're going to get there. When I read these headlines, what is the thing, what is the common thread through all of those? ISIS doing something. ISIS doing something, but to who? Where? Innocent people. No, not in the United States. We're constantly talking about ISIS is a threat to us, our homeland, and we need to go to the Middle East and attack them. No, you don't. Because apparently the only people that get killed by terrorism are... Iraqis, places that we've gone and invaded. They're planning on attacking Europe and Belgium and France. They're not, we have no evidence that they're really doing anything in the United States. And, you know, of course it's possible, but it seems like, it seems like we get hurt when we get involved. How about we say, this is clearly a Middle Eastern problem. This is clearly a European problem. We can help, but why are we going over to fucking the Middle East to fight people and, and wage these wars and everything? We're, we're sticking our hand in a beehive. Yeah, but we stuck our hand in the beehive like 10 years ago and we haven't got it out yet. Yeah, of course, but we keep repeating this. Absolutely. You think Iraq, you think Iraq where 600 people get killed in a fucking uh, chemical weapons attack? You think that's a stable country now? No. Right, but that's the argument that they'll continue to make when fucking dumb Jeb Bush is at the debate and he's like, my brother kept us safe and he did the right thing. Did he, idiot? You both go on the sideline because your opinion is invalid. My point is... We can say ISIS is our pro, you know, a huge problem and we need to be the ones to address it and we got to go to the Middle East and attack them and do all this stuff. We really don't. What we need to do is force countries like Saudi Arabia, who we are strong allies with, countries like Israel that we fucking give a ton of money to and all these other countries, Egypt and whatever. Where are they? You get involved. You go kill ISIS. You're there. You're, they're already your problem and you're already the reason that ISIS exists to begin with in large part because you're all these fucking crazy theocracies that, that are undemocratic. You're, you're creating extreme opposition to what you're doing. Sunni, Shia, all this back and forth. Like it's not our problem. We are not involved in that really. And every time we go in there, American soldiers get killed or innocent Iraqis get killed. Like you said. Yeah, sometimes we kill ISIS, but how how bad are we damaging them if they're talking about going to Belgium and France and they're able to carry these attacks out? Well, also, I think we have to keep in mind that it seems more like there's individuals that are more on their own than actually, I feel, being sponsored by ISIS. Yeah, well, they're lo- well definitely. I mean, there's lone wolf aspect to it, which we've talked about, right, when we even say, oh, ISIS is doing the attacks. Well, not really. I mean, ISIS just represents... It was Al-Qaeda, you know, eight years ago. It's like, whatever. They're just the new name. That's just what we associate it with. It's like when people call, what, what do you want to drink? Coke. Well, you want soda, but you want a Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. It's the same idea. It's like terrorism is ISIS. It kind of goes hand in hand now. That's just what we're saying. But right, they're they're kind of getting these very indirectly related people to go out and do things. You know what I mean? And they're like, you go pick the time, place, you do what you want. But We're going to take know. credit. Yeah. The interesting thing about that is um, you you didn't want to mention names, but one of the brothers no, you could say that, that was responsible left a note. Okay. Oh, go ahead. I'm in a hurry. I don't know what to do anymore. They're looking for me everywhere. I'm not safe anymore. If I give myself up, they'll put me in a cell. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't seem like something that someone who was radicalized would leave behind as a final note. 
It's interesting. I mean, I don't know. Because even the other guy, the Paris mastermind guy they caught in Belgium right before this attack, he was supposed to have blown himself up, but he chickened out of doing that. I've chickened out, but whatever. He didn't do it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, it's one thing to say I'm willing to die for something. But when you actually are about to, <laughs> you that's that's really the the you know that that's really the the breaking point right where they go there's no atheists in foxholes or whatever that phrase is which is bullshit but uh you, you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. you, you're gonna start to be, you're gonna start to get really once you get that close to the line between life and death like you're gonna start to probably get a little real as opposed to these crazy notions that you have where you've been radicalized you know be, because the other interesting thing about this too. But wait, I'm sorry. You know what? But yeah. let me go with that point. Yeah, so that's the thing though. As they get closer, some of these guys start to obviously, whatever for lack of a better word, pussy out or they start to rethink what they're, uh, you know, what they're really doing there. That's the point. That's what I'm talking about. Like given enough time, you can reverse these ideologies. You just have to be willing to do it. The more you're going to go over there and try to, like I'm saying, poke the beehive and blunt bomb people and kill innocent people have Guantanamo open and torture and do mm-hmm. all this shit. You're inviting people to have the excuse to go out and do this stuff. Not that I'm saying that, you know, more quote civilized countries are to blame for this type of shit, but there's, you know, there's factors on both sides that, that lead to this. If you tried to reverse the ideology a little bit and soften the, the relationship and change the nature of the relationship, you might be able to change people's minds. They're not like Hillary Clinton would say super predators where they're completely broken the kids are going to be part of the problem, though, because they're being brought up in this tradition where Jihadi John is their Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, you know, in their head, there's no way to come back from that. Like, that is what they believe is the right thing to do. But, yeah, some of these guys who are in their 20s, 30s, like, they know what it's like to be alive. Yeah. They get it. The uh, the one thing that's interesting is the apparently with the bombs from both this and Paris, yeah. it's the same uh, materials. So I find that really interesting, which I guess that means that there must be a bomb maker that's making it. And there's there is, I think there is a guy. I don't remember his name, but I think I did read. And again, like you know, next week we might have more information about it. But it was just kind of like stuff that I was reading in passing. Like there is a bomb maker guy. There is a guy that they think is connected to all this, and they found another one in Belgium that was Satan's something. I forget what the hell they called it, but it was like a fucking massive, uh, you know, bomb that they found. Yeah, there is a guy. I mean, look, they're linked, obviously. And this is my other question. Why aren't we invading Belgium then? If none of these people are coming out of Iraq or Syria or anything, why why aren't we just over in Paris and Belgium? That's apparently where these guys are coming from, right? I mean, I don't understand. I'm not actually saying we need to invade Belgium, but my point is that's where this seems to be stemming from. Yeah, maybe they go to the Middle East to get advice or money or whatever, but they're bringing it right back to Europe, and that's where they're actually hatching the plan and doing all this stuff. So would you want to send, like, secret operatives to over to Brussels to keep an eye on everything? Well, I got to imagine that we have something like that going on. But, yeah, I, but my point is we're so quick to be like, we need to go to Syria. We need to go to Iraq. Why? That's where it starts, but obviously that's not where they're trying to attack people, and it seems like they're doing a lot of the planning overseas. So... You know, uh, over in Europe, I mean, like, that's where we should go. <laughs> yeah. Why, why, why would we spend billions of dollars going into the desert when we can go to, to Belgium and France? And that's probably, you know, where we would ser- be better served to be helping out. But also, too, if we're going to go with the idea that it is the lone wolf thing, yeah, then it just happens that these lone wolves were from Belgium. Yeah, but we're also seeing though that there there are plant they trained a specific number of guys supposedly to do attacks in Europe. That that is like mm. you know, it's lone wolf. Definitely, there's people that are lone wolves that have nothing actually to do with like the San Bernardino people. Really didn't have anything to do with ISIS. ISIS didn't even claim responsibility for that. They were just like, yeah, we met them. I guess like I don't know. They didn't really take responsibility for it they're training people potentially in like how to do damage or how to make weapons and things like that. But then they tell them you go, you pick the time and place whenever you think you're going to get the most people. That's when you go do it. It's up to you then. Then they don't have any more contact with that. It's not like they're calling the ISIS 
headquarters, yeah, hotline to to get their instructions. You know, that's not how it's working. So it's a little bit, yes, there's lone wolves, but there's also then these kind of like loosely affiliated people who once they're in Europe, they're fucking, they're on their own. They got to like work in their little group and, and make it happen. All right. Anything else to say about that? I mean, obviously, you know, obviously it's a another tragic situation. It's fucking annoying to, to put it in the mildest terms. Like, I don't want to see it happen. And I wish the solution was let's go stomp their asses bad. Like, let's send over a ton of military, which, by the way, I'm still not convinced that that isn't the right. You could probably do it with a couple hundred thousand U.S. troops and coalition forces. We're not going to do that. So failing that. That's not the solution, and probably ultimately it's not going to be the solution anyway to just kill all these people because there's still more people there that will see that and disagree with it. And they're all going to have families. Yeah, but it is annoying. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, f- I find it so aggravating that this is where we are, where there's these groups of people that are just trying to be destructive and even potentially are doing it in the name of a fucking imaginary god. Man, that that bothers me more than I can even explain. But... But the tough talk, waterboarding, that also doesn't work. You know, so we we got to be, it's an emotional thing. It's fucking frustrating, but that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to goad you into a fight yes. and think irrationally, we're supposed to be better than that. And that's why we claim the moral high ground. We are a country of rules and a country of laws. And we're also supposed to be a country that's smarter than these fucking terrorists that are running around and just trying to do damage. So you got to weigh it, and that's why people like Trump are dangerous. I'd much rather have a Bernie Sanders in there who you know isn't going to be quick to anger. He's not going to be a guy that's just going to act irrationally. Does Trump seem like the type of guy that might act irrationally and be quick to anger in a situation like this? Definitely. Yeah, okay. So that's you know that's really the big concern, and every time something like this happens, that's something that needs to be taken into consideration. Hey, this is Jeremy Roenick of the Roenick Life Podcast. Check out our podcast and I can guarantee you'll hear great stories, blunt, in-your-face honesty. Our guests never disappoint. It's the Roenick Life Podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Tune in. Make sure you go get it. You won't regret it. All right, Joey. SeaWorld. Want to hear about it? Yes, I do. Announced that they will stop breeding orcas in captivity which is a huge victory for the mandatory Samson podcast, which has been highly critical of the company in recent years. I feel like we did it. We did it. We finally did it. Um, I don't really have more on that. Um, oh, and I actually skipped the story, but that's fine. We can go a little out of order. Good. I, ultimately with SeaWorld, the ocean needs to be SeaWorld. The, you, the, the whales that they have in captivity now and the dolphins, they can't send back out into the ocean because they wouldn't be able to survive. They've been away from the wild for too long. So, okay, understandable. You got to expand their pens or whatever you want to call it out into the ocean. Um, and then when they die, that's it. You got to stop breeding them in captivity. Maybe SeaWorld becomes some kind of expedition thing where you can go out into the ocean and potentially see them or potentially not. Or it's just not a business that we can work with anymore. It's like coal mines. It's over. I'd be honest with you. I would love to Please take, be honest with me, Joe. take full responsibility of us helping the orcas. But I feel that for the most part, it was the California Coastal Commission that had a huge influence over them due to the fact that they said that they would not approve SeaWorld's renovation plans. Yes. Yeah, we talked about that. Yes, if they didn't scrap it. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, the public pressure and also the the you know, public works pressure that has been put on them and different government. Oh, wow. Government Mm. helped and did something good. That's what they're there. That's what it's there for. Like in a, in a certain way, the government is the best wet blanket we, we can possibly have where it's like, yeah, we're, we're just going to re redo this whole park. Like, no, no, you're not. No, you're not. You, You can't do that to the animals. It's fucked up. That's good. That's what we want. That's what you want government to do. Um, I don't know. I don't have any really much more to say about that. I just wanted to bring it up. I think it's good. I, just, I hope SeaWorld just goes out of business. It's like, what are we doing? Well, they're having a lot of missteps that would help them, you know, going out of business. For example, profits dropped 84% between 2014 and 2015. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's well, a shit ton of money. Is it really 84% of profits? Yeah. 84%. Yeah. Well, we talked about some of this stuff on the show. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. I mean, because your business model is flawed. People don't want to see, for the most part, I mean, people in Texas, SeaWorld don't give a shit. We talked about that. But... Yeah, for the most part, people don't want to see animals be tortured. And we're also starting to get, I think, more of a recognition that animals, particularly whales and, and you know, dolphins and, and these, like, 
you know, higher beings, right? Have like better, better consciousness and are more aware and have emotions and all this stuff. We're learning that more and more. So I think it's important to recognize that and change our behavior because we're supposed to be the fucking highest primate and we're supposed to be able to deal with the shit and we're, we're not doing a good job. Um, all right. New global warming poll. This is actually, some actually some good news on the global warming front, which I'm pretty excited about. New Gallup poll shows a record number of Americans believe global warming will pose a threat to their way of life. And then I have uh, some stats here from the Gallup poll that we can get into. Um, let me get to it. Hold on. It's opening. I really hope the internet's working, Joey. Or we're just going to have to skip it for today. But I did write down a, uh, a, to me, like, there's a difference between fear and concern, and there's a difference between education and manipulation. When you talk about ISIS, for example, or terrorism, yes, it is a real thing that we should be concerned about. However, it's used by politicians and in a lot of different places as a fear mechanism, which drives poor decision-making. And it's used as a tool to get people to vote for Donald Trump and whatever. Global warming is something that, yeah, yes, you can fear it, but it's not being used in a fearful way. It's like, this is something that's going to happen. We need to be concerned about it. And let's use the information at hand to make wise decisions going forward. It's not something where I'm trying to scare people into vote. You know, you need to be aware that global warming is a real thing and it's really happening. This uh, website's not opening, of course. Motherfucker. Oh, here we go. Okay. Uh, U.S. concerned about global warming at an eight-year high, Joey. 64% Americans worried a great deal or a fair amount about global warming, which is very good. Uh, let's continue down here. U.S. views about when effects of global warming will occur. 59% of people think it has already begun. That's good. That's great. Americans' perception of global warming as a serious threat. It's still a bigger percentage thinking it's not a serious threat, but it's only 57% down from 62 last year. And yes, the people that think it is a serious threat has gone up from 37 to 41 over the last year. So that. Good. That's yes. coming together. Uh, perceived cause of global warming. 65% of people think it is human activities and only 31% think it's natural causes. Great. It could be a little bit of both, but it is a lot of human it's activity. Us. Right. It's us. We're doing it. There's, it's very clear. Um, and all of the, all of the uh, political parties, the numbers are increasing of people, even Republicans and Democrats, independents, whatever people that are worried about it or think it's a real thing is all going up, which is good. That's what we talked about last week where you're saying it's not being covered enough mm -hmm. it's, or you say you think it is. It isn't, but apparently it's being covered more and better. So people are actually getting the right idea because global warming is a hundred percent, one hundred percent, a real thing that we need to be worried about for sure. So I'm, I'm glad to see those numbers. Thoughts. I still want the numbers to be a little bit higher, but all in due time. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they'll go up quicker. Again, it's a it is only a matter of time before the government. I mean, it's obviously taken some steps, but it's only a matter of time before they're going to really have to kick it into high gear. Because even Exxon and the private company, they know it's happening. They're just saying it's not happening because they don't feel like switching over their entire business model right now. But it is for sure happening. Also, it makes a great point when NASA releases that February smash the century monthly global temperature records. Oh, please. Right. Well, yeah. And that can't hurt either. Right. The internet helps. That no, shit gets absolutely. around. You know, it's like at a certain point, you just have to acknowledge something's happening and we're, we're, we have an effect on it. And even if we don't, why don't we just take the steps to correct it just on the whim that maybe it is the right way to go. Uh, cause it's probably going to be better for our economy anyway. If we switch to solar and wind and all that stuff, it's just better. It's better than burning fossil fuels. Clearly we can get away from the middle East completely. We could wash our hands of it. We don't have to even be involved. Natural gas is a step. I get it. I understand doing it a little bit, but it's also dangerous for the environment and the whole process is bad for the environment and everything. Wind and solar. That's, really the way to go and hopefully we're in, going in that direction when enough people when there's a tipping point of enough people who acknowledge that it's a problem then they can you know as a consumer nation a very consumer driven economy once that's the case then they're just going to start selling products because people will buy it that's all that's always what it's going to be so it's really on the people to to make the choice all right Hulk Hogan versus Gawker Joey big mm -hmm. news that I was extremely excited about when I saw this week 
Hulk Hogan was awarded $115 million in damages after a jury deliberated for six hours in his lawsuit against Gawker in relation to the sex tape that they uh, posted on their site. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got any thoughts on this, Joey? I think a lot of it had to do with the jury. Well, of course. Yeah, I mean, of course. But I'm saying more in terms of we talked about it with Aaron Andrews. The the comparison to that were certain articles I was reading was like, there's no comparison. No, there 100% is. We That's what we said. And this is uh, vindication for our, our point of view on that. Hogan got a shitload of money. And is $115 million the right amount of money? Was $55 million the right amount of money? No. Or yeah, I don't know. Um, but it's really... It's going to make a dent now in the, like, tabloid media, essentially. How do you feel? But that's really what I'm asking you. I mean, as far as the privacy versus First Amendment thing, the freedom of the press, how do you feel about that in terms of if this bankrupts Gawker? Good, bad, indifferent? Um, see, the, the issue comes down to is the video that they released Hulk Hogan or Terry Broa? Terry Bollea. Well... That doesn't. I understand See, what you mean. Like because the, the, Hulk Hogan is a public figure. Yeah, and that might be newsworthy because he is a public figure. Newsworthy is yeah okay no right I mean but that is that is the argument when you look at something like and I don't know I forget how much we got into this last week but take the Anthony Weiner sexting scandal or whatever when he was sending the pictures of his dick to the the whatever the the woman over Snapchat or whatever mm-hmm. he was doing I forget he's a public official. He's somebody that you're paying a salary through your taxes and all that stuff, and he works for you. I don't personally care that he's doing it from a moral point of view. Like, he's choosing to do it. Let him do it. It's not not my thing. If it's affecting his job performance, it's relevant, and I understand that maybe, maybe that being a story. As far as Hulk Hogan's sex tape is concerned against his will, no, that does that is does not serve a public good in any way. Hulk Hogan's not an elected official. That's ridiculous. It, it, because because people will be quick to jump on Snowden and go oh, or Chelsea Manning don't release those documents because it affects the country and blah blah. That's in the public good. That's what Gawker should be releasing instead of this tabloid nonsense. And I also don't really like the fucking vulture culture that it is of having paparazzi follow around celebrities and trying to get pictures of them. It's ridiculous. You know, I, I just don't think we need it. And I think it's a garbagey part of our culture that if we lessened it or eliminated it potentially, I don't think we're going to be suffering for that. Maybe people will be forced to pay attention to real things that matter. I, I, I just don't know how a tape that's a minute and 41 seconds yeah. and only nine seconds is actually sex right. gets $115 million. Well, he asked for 100 He got 115 And yeah. then the point more is, I think, to put Gawker out of business. It's to send a message of like, this isn't okay anymore. You can't just do this shit. It doesn't serve a public good. It's against the guy's will. It violates his privacy. It isn't First Amendment. Like, it's not freedom of the press. What are, what are you trying to inform us about? Well, Gawker apparently saw the writing on the wall. Yeah. Because it sold a minority stake to Columbus Nova Technology Partners, which is an investment fund with deep pockets and several billion dollars in assets. Oh, okay. So they're selling it over to so, them. To- so even if they do have to pay 115, which I believe that's going to get repealed. Yeah, upheeled. Upheeled. Yeah, they can't. Well, they can't afford it. They said they, they're like, we don't have that amount of money. So it's, yeah, either sell off to a bigger company that maybe will be able to pay it and salvage it. They're going to appeal it, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think they're not going to, I don't think that's going to go very far. Um, but again, I, I swear to God, I've never been on Gawker. Like, I don't, I've never gone on Gawker.com. It just doesn't, why would I? It doesn't do it for you. No. I, and I'm not acting like some pious guy. I mean, did I look at the fappening photos? I sure did. But if they didn't exist, like, well, and also those weren't sold or whatever, but those people are going to get in trouble. If it doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. I don't need to see, uh, you know, Kate Hudson on vacation it, pictures. It's like, you, you don't need to do this. That's that's part of the trickle-down effect of this, like, money-at-all-cost corporate ideology where you have these, like, garbage paparazzi people out there, like, pariahs or just sucking off the teeth, like... They don't need them. They're just scum. Then we don't need them. We need real journalism and we need real information out there in the world. I don't have a problem with this so long as it doesn't affect real reporting and real journalism, which, but I don't, I don't think it would. 
because uh, I clear I can clearly see the difference between what Gawker does and what the Intercept does, or what you know any the real, Guardian does. The yeah. Guardian does. Like, there's obviously a difference there. So, yeah, good for Hogan. Uh, yeah, maybe he'll go get some racial sensitivity counseling now. He's got the money. Mm-hmm. He'll well, believe it or not, that's what a lot of people feel that that this is was an attempt in retaliation for them releasing that video of him saying that slur. I have no problem with them releasing that video of him saying that slur. But he did. Uh-huh. And that's why a lot of people feel that. Oh, I see. I see. Oh, Gawker released that video yes. too? Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, yeah, look, Gawker crossed the line with that. Hogan saying N a bunch is more relevant than his sex tape because he didn't consent to that. If you're giving an interview, right, that's where the mm-hmm. tape is where he's saying the, the N-word a bunch of times or whatever. I don't really remember the specifics of it. But it's like he should have known he was being rec- he was being recorded. He was aware of that. So don't say that then. Like, that's out there now. You've put that out into the po- – he didn't know he was being filmed while he was naked and having sex. Like, that's where it crosses the line, I think. Same thing with what's-his-face, uh, Donald Sterling. That's kind of fucked up. That I mean – it's kind of in the public interest because he owns it, t- although he privately owns a basketball team. But, you know, he's not a good person. He's a despicable person. But that V. Stiviano or whatever, whoever taped him, she's a piece of shit too because that was in a private conversation. Mm. That probably shouldn't have been released. And really, we shouldn't, and we don't have a say over who owns a professional basketball team. I mean, whatever, I'm veering off into that. But, there's gray areas, definitely. That, but but I think we, we can have an adult enough conversation where we can figure it out. We can see there's differences between all these things, and it's just a matter of figuring out what is okay and what is not okay. That's all. That's how culture changes, and that's how the times evolve. And Hulk Hogan was a part of that. Hulk Hogan's a major part of it, absolutely. They'll, they'll be talking about this Hogan versus Gawker case for a long time, maybe. Uh, anytime something like this happens where a tape gets leaked, it's going to be like, well, Hogan got $115 million. Aaron Andrews is part of it. Mm-hmm. 55 million. Yeah, she, look, I mean, I'll take 55 million. Uh, if there's a sex tape out there, I mean, just Gawker, just release it. I'll take a couple of million. I'll take a couple hundred thousand. All right. Um, what? Well, I was just thinking, uh, if it was anybody else, it probably wouldn't have been that much of a payout. But then again, that's the entire reason they put it out was because it was Hulk Hogan. Well, they're claiming they only made a few thousand dollars or like- Yeah, of course they are. Yeah. Well, you should have thought, see, and that's, that is very telling too, where they said, well, we, this is unfair because we only made like $11,000 off this story or something, whatever they said, even if it was a hundred thousand, then maybe you should wait for bigger fish to fry, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're only making $11,000 for that Hulk, for like ruining Hulk Hogan, you know, or whatever, making him feel terrible, it's not worth it then. Is that really the price to, to publicly shame somebody? Exactly. Is that the price for public shaming? Like. Then, then maybe you're 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 not a good business to begin with, and your business model is flawed, like we keep talking about. Not just because you had the idea to do it doesn't mean we should let you do it, right? Correct. Okay. <sighs> um, do you have anything to say about the size of his penis? I didn't even see the sex tape. I got to be honest. Do you have something to say about it? I uh, know, but on the stand, he actually admitted that Hulk Hogan has a bigger, a, big, a bigger than average penis than uh terry boa has wait what yeah he is terry Bollea. i know oh he's saying that when i'm hogan yes my balls are gigantic <laughs> like the 24 inch pythons and then when he's just himself just being himself it's banging his small. friend's wife yeah. Yeah, okay sure that makes no sense but yeah <laughs> okay um no i didn't see it look i imagine the hulkster's packing he's he's a big guy and you know it is what it is god bless him i hope he enjoys his money uh all right Let's close up with this, Joey, the okay. 2016 update. I got some clips. I got some stats that we can get into, and then we'll uh, mosey on out of here. Amidst calls by top Democratic leadership, including Barack Obama, the president, mm-hmm. to drop out of the race, Bernard, no middle name given, Sanders managed to, as Joey would say, overperform in Idaho and Utah primaries. That's what we're talking about. On Tuesday. That's right. He won big in Idaho and Utah. Uh, and he also won nine to four in a blowout Dems abroad primary. Democrats that are abroad that vote, he won that primary actually nine to four. Um, I have a Bernie Sanders quote here, and then we'll get into that. My favorite thing, the who's on track for the nomination thing. Bernie Sanders. The bottom line is that when only half of the American people have participated in the political process, I think it is absurd for anybody to suggest absurd. 
I'm not going to do it. I'm not in the mood today, Joey. My heart's not in it. I think it is absurd for anybody to suggest that those people not have a right to cast a vote. To suggest we don't fight this out to the end would be, I think, a very bad mistake. People want to become engaged in the political process by having vigorous primary and caucus process. I think we open up the possibility of having a large voter, voter turnout in November. That is exactly what we need. Joey, you tell me why the Democratic establishment and Barack Obama want Bernie Sanders to drop out now as opposed to waiting until the convention. They're saying Trump. But, you know, it's time to focus on Trump. We need to unify. What's the real reason? I don't know. These are the primaries that Bernie's going to do well in. Oh. <laughs> get so, so tell him to get out before he can build some momentum and take down the queen. Absolutely. Well, forget about gain momentum. If the well, yeah, I mean gain momentum. But if the guy overperforms, like you're always saying in California, mm-hmm. New, New Jersey, New York, he might win. Like it's That's- not. We've been saying it's not statistically impossible. It's unlikely. But if he's gonna do it, these are the states he's gonna do it in. So of course they don't want it to actually happen. And Bernie pretty much was like, "Fuck yourself," and he stayed in. So good yeah. for him. Well, t- to me, it looks like he really hasn't got his has. His ass handed to him yet? No. At any time. Well, a couple of places got his ass handed to him. I mean, he got fucking destroyed in Mississippi. Okay. He got hurt in a few other places that I'm not remembering right now. But, 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 but the point is, on the big ones, he's right there with her. Totally. Absolutely right. And the big ones for the Democrats are New York, California. Like, what do you give a shit? How many Democrats are there in fucking Mississippi? That Not were worried, you know, I know what I mean? That they're right. They were worried. That, oh wow! Oh good. Hillary carried Mississippi. That there's no way the Democrats are going to win the fucking South in a general election. So I don't know why we're pretending like that's such a phenomenal thing that she did. It's not. It's not that great that she won states that we're never going to win anyway. Uh, I said we're like I'm on the Democratic side, but you know what I mean. It's yes. like the Democrats are not going to win that. Um, let's go to the the tracker, the okay. nomination tracker. Hillary Clinton is at 100 110 of her target. 1,229 pledged delegates won, all right? 110%. Mm-hmm. Down from other... She was at 114, 113. She can only go down. She can only go down. Kind of, yeah. Bernie is up to 89% of his target now with 933 pledged delegates. So the 712 super delegates are, again, not factored in because we know that they can change sides. Mm-hmm. And if Bernie has the most delegates come to, you know, convention time... They're going to have to switch. Otherwise, we're going to have a situation like the Republicans have, and we can't afford it. So Bernie's, you know, still behind by quite a bit. But there's a lot of big primaries coming up. And like we're always talking about the overperforming thing. After March 15th, where he won uh, Illinois and Missouri, only getting seven more than he was supposed to get, right? Mm -hmm. Hillary did very well. She won four of the other five um, primaries that day. Since then, March 21st, Democrats abroad primary. Hillary took four out of the six and a half delegates she needed. Bernie took nine of the six and a half he needed. So he overperformed. Arizona, obviously, a, a God forgive me, a dumb state that tries to execute people poorly. Jan Brewer, Joe Arpaio, all these assholes. They're, we're not going to win Arizona. The, the liberal people, Democrats, they're not going to win Arizona. So. Hillary wins it, but who gives a shit? She won 44 out of 34. Bernie only did 31 out of 41. But 18 out of 14 that he needed in Idaho, 27 out of 19 in Utah. That's what you need, 27 out of 19. That's Absolutely, and Hillary got 5 out of 9 in Idaho and 6 out of 14 in Utah. If he can just continue that pattern for the rest of the thing. And she goes underperforms. Absolutely, and I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen, but Bernie does well in places where there's a lot of white people, Wyoming, Wisconsin, Washington, you got to think Hawaii, probably Maryland, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island. This is the this is as white as it gets. So you got to think Bernie's going to do well there. Oregon, Kentucky, right? Mm-hmm. California. I mean, obviously it's not percentage white, but that's super liberal. So we'll see. North and South Dakota. You think there's a lot of white people there? I don't know. Indians. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> but but anyway, my point being, out of the last four primaries, Bernie's overperformed in three of them. Yes. Great. That's what you need. If he can keep that pattern going and really get a nice blowout in California or do very well in New York, we'll see what happens. I'm not changing my tune. I still think it's going to be Hillary, but these are the states that if he's going to do anything, this is where it's going to be done. And so, of course, they'd rather get him out now. And the only way to do it is to actually do it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. He has to stay in. There's absolutely no way you would get him. Of course, he's doing the right thing. No no question about it. Um, All right. 
got a couple of little Trump, couple of Trump things, and Elizabeth Warren, who God love her, is still it's just a huge X factor in this. She, the, we're going to close with a, it's a little bit of a longer clip. It's like a four minute clip of Elizabeth okay. Warren, but it's great. It's from two thousand four. Her talking about Hillary Clinton. God, Ooh. just yeah, it's a good one. Just get get in, Elizabeth, please. You want to know what we call that? Time capsule. It's a time. It's a beautiful time capsule, and uh, we, we've un- unearthed it for this episode. All right, Trump first. The Economist Intelligence Unit published a report last week on the biggest threats to the world's economy. All right, did you see this? Yes, I did. I believe it was the BBC. No, it's The Economist. Oh, the Economist, okay. Yeah. Uh, these are all based on, it's the top 10. It's based on a 25-point scale. So 25 being the worst threat to the global economy, and then anything less than that is a lesser threat, obviously. Number one, China experiences a hard landing. That's a 20, meaning their economy collapses. They have oh, a, it just they totally have a, goes kaput. Yeah. What was that word? Kaput. Kaput? Kaput. I thought you said cuckoo. I don't know what you're saying. Uh, that's number one. Russia's interventions in Ukraine and Syria proceed to a new Cold War. That's 16 on the at a 25 scale. Hmm. Currency volatility culminates in an emerging markets corporate debt crisis. Which, let me tell you something. If there's a possibility of the corporations fucking up with some kind of debt, I guarantee that's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Where was that? What number is that? Well, this is 10 of them, but I'm saying that has a 16 out of 25. Oh, that's at 16. Okay. So I'm doing it from worst to greatest to least. Beset by external and internal pressures, the EU begins to fracture the European Union. Mm. Huge issue. No question about it. The Greek, the Grexit, the Greek exit from the European Union is followed by a Eurozone breakup, like the dollar. Mm. That'd be the European money would be a, a problem. Donald Trump wins the U.S. presidential election. What? Is it 12 out of 25? That's literally a worse threat to the global economy than the rising threat of jihadi terrorism destabilizes the global economy. The UK votes to leave the EU. Chinese expansionism prompts a clash of arms in the South China Sea and a collapse in investment in the oil sector prompts a future oil price shock. Those things are less destabilizing. Jihadism is less destabilizing to the global economy than Donald Trump becoming president of the United States. They're just afraid that he's going to fix everything. Yeah. Yeah, they're scared that America is going to be so great that the rest of the world is just going to pack up and go home. Yes. Uh, crazy, right? I mean, that's real. That, who's, that should be very alarming to people. Donald Trump becoming president is worse than ISIS, essentially. And he's on his way to doing it. No, he's not. He's not going to be president. We talk about. I firmly promise you guys. Don't worry. Donald Trump's not going to be president. It doesn't mean don't talk about it. it doesn't mean tell people you shouldn't vote for him. But he's not going to be president. I promise. I promise. Because he's winning these primaries. He's winning some of them. He's losing some. Cruz is winning some. Kasich won Ohio, which is the only one he's winning. That's it. He's that's done. the K- biggest Kasich one. Kasich is done. I'm not saying Kasich is going to win, but I'm saying Trump not winning Ohio means he's not going to be president. That's all. <laughs> that's all. You want to know what Kasich is? He's one and done. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. Um, all right, let's skip ahead a little bit here because I do want to get to this Elizabeth Warren clip and we're, uh, we're a little pressed for time here. New poll says that half of America believes Donald Trump's campaign shows fascist undertones, which is good. Oh, like the hand rising? Yeah, just different things, just the way he like runs his press conferences and stuff. Video of Trump's campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, appears to show him pulling the collar of a protester at an Arizona rally. Ooh. That came out, uh, which it's alleged, I guess, but you watch the video and it's 100% that the guy grabbed a protester's collar, so there's no debating that. This is on Donald Trump. This is Donald Trump on if he's denied the nomination. I would certainly tell them that, n- not to riot, but, you know, look, these people are, are fervent. I don't want to see riots. I don't want to see problems. But, you know, you have, you have millions of people we're talking about, George. Millions of additional people have gone. You know, I've gotten more than 2 million votes more than anybody else. 2 million votes more than anybody else. I don't know what's going to happen, but I will say this. You're going to have a lot of very unhappy people. That's Donald Trump's quote. Does that sound like he's saying don't riot? Or does that seem like he's putting out this like kind of incantation of riot? Riot when they don't give me the nomination. Well, if you... Would- can you say something by not saying it? Well, that's what he's doing. Exactly. Yeah. He's saying, right, exactly. But that's my point. He's putting out this kind of like spell. He's putting it out into the ether and we'll, we'll end up, uh, we'll see what happens. 
Let's quickly. We're not. We're going to skip the MMA in New York City. It's cool that it's legalized. Maybe that's something we could talk about next week. It's awesome. Uh-huh. Finally, the UFC will be at Madison Square Garden, which will be really great. Um, Elizabeth Warren put up a, a Facebook post where she said, "Let's be honest. Donald Trump is a loser." Count all of his failed businesses. See how he kept his father's empire afloat by cheating people with scams like Trump the University and blah, blah, blah. She went on like a whole thing. We don't have time to read it. I love that she started off with like, Donald Trump's a loser. Let's just be honest. I love Elizabeth Warren. I wish she'd endorse Bernie. That would help. Let's do our plugs and shit right now, Joey, and then we'll close with the Elizabeth Warren thing so that we can wrap up. Uh, Guys, sorry again that it's not like a super long episode. I think we got into some stuff. I think we had a good conversation. Um, you know, next week we'll be back strong as usual. But, uh, you know, I had personal stuff going on and I tried to do uh, do my best for this week. Okay. Let's say this. If you would like to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, please go do that. Rate, subscribe, and uh, let everybody know that you like the show. You can go on soundcloud.com slash mandatory Samson. Subscribe, follow us on there. You can leave a comment on this episode. I will respond to that. You can listen to all the other episodes we've ever done. They're up on uh, soundcloud.com slash mandatory Samson. YouTube.com slash mandatory Samson. I try to put up the full episode videos every week. Um, and you can also watch the show stream live every Thursday at 4 p.m. And you can watch all the old episodes as well. Email us, mandatory Samson at gmail.com. Twitter, I'm at mansamp. Joey is at Joey from Jersey, Jersey with a Z. Same thing on Snapchat for me. Same thing on Instagram for me. I'm at Mansamp. And uh, Joey, you have a different Instagram. Yeah, name. it's not We're not going to worry about it. Okay. Um, guys, we love you. Thank you for listening to the program. Definitely listen to this clip that we're going to play. Uh, and then, you know, we'll do like a quick wrap up at the end. But this is a 2004 clip of Elizabeth Warren on Bill Moyer's show. And uh, it's really great. It's a really interesting one to listen to. It's a few minutes. Let's listen to it, and uh, then we'll wrap up right after this uh, this clip. If it ever plays. There we go. You tell a story that, to me, illustrates what has happened to our political system in regard to the middle class, in regard to democracy and the country as a whole. And it involves Hillary Clinton. I had written an op-ed about a piece of pending bankruptcy legislation. Um, uh, The credit card companies have been pushing to try to tighten the bankruptcy laws, uh, sort of like locking the doors to the hospitals and then claiming nobody's sick in America. Um, So they were trying to get the bankruptcy laws constrained, constricted, so that fewer families could get in. Why? Because you can make more money if those families don't go into bankruptcy, if you're a a credit lender. And so I'd written an op-ed about how this would fall disproportionately hard on women who were raising families and who would be put in the position under this bill of trying to compete with Citibank, MasterCard, Visa, Bank One for getting alimony and child support from their ex-husbands. Mrs. Clinton evidently saw... The First Lady. The First Lady. She was then First Lady. This is in the 1990s, uh, late 1990s. Mrs. Clinton saw the piece, and I got a call from the White House. And they said Mrs. Clinton was going to be in town to give a speech in Boston. And would I come and meet with her? I said, sure. And so I put together all my files. I show up at the appointed place. After she's finished her speech, we're ushered into a tiny little room somewhere in the bowels of this hotel. And just the two of us. They close the door. Mrs. Clinton sits down. We have hamburgers and French fries. And you tutor her. And she says, tell me about bankruptcy. And i got to tell you. I never had a smarter student. Quick, right to the heart of it. I go over the law. It's a complex law. Went over the economics, showed her the graphs, showed her the charts, and she got it. Within 20 minutes, she could play where the rest of it would come. Well, then that will mean this part's happened. That will mean this has happened. I said, yes, that's right. And at the end of the conversation, Mrs. Clinton stood up. She said, let's get our picture taken, which we did. And she said, Professor Warren... We've got to stop that awful bill, referring to this bankruptcy bill that's sponsored by the credit card companies. So I left. She went back to Washington, and I heard later from someone who was a White House staffer that there were skid marks in the hallways when Mrs. Clinton got back as people reversed direction on that bankruptcy bill. They were supporting the industry, and because of her... President Clinton had been showing that this was another way that he could be helpful to business. It wasn't a very high-visibility bill. And when Mrs. Clinton came back with a little better understanding of how it all worked, 
They reversed course, and they reversed course fast. And indeed, the, the proof is in the pudding. The last uh, bill that came before President Clinton was that bankruptcy bill that was passed by the House and the Senate in 2000, and he vetoed it. And in her autobiography, Mrs. Clinton took credit for that veto, and she rightly should. She turned around a whole administration on the subject of bankruptcy. She and got then, it. And then? This is the relevant part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's all relevant. It's interesting. I love hearing Elizabeth Warren. She's brilliant in her own right. I wish she was involved. Uh, well, she's a senator, obviously, but I wish she was involved with Bernie. Um, listen to this, Joey. One of the first bills that came up after she was Senator Clinton was the bankruptcy bill. Uh, this is a bill that's like a vampire. It will not die. Right? There's a lot of money behind it. And the bill it just, her husband had vetoed. Her husband had vetoed it very much at her urging. And? She voted in favor of it. Why? As Senator Clinton, the pressures are very different. <laughs> it's a well-financed industry. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the industry that gave the most money to Washington over the past few years was not the oil industry, was not pharmaceuticals. It was consumer credit products. Those are the people the mm. credit card companies have been giving money Mm-hmm. And they have influence. And Mrs. Clinton was one of them, a senator. Yeah. She, she has taken money from the groups, and more to the point, she worries about them as a constituency. So what does this mean, though, to these people, these millions of people out there whom the politicians uh, cavort in front of as favoring the middle class and then are beholden to the powerful interests that undermine the middle class? What does it say about politics today? You know, this is the scary part about democracy today. It's, we're talking again about the impact of money. The credit industry on this bankruptcy bill has spent tens of millions of dollars lobbying. And as their profits grow, they just throw more into lobbying for how they can get laws that will make it easier and easier and easier to drain money out of the, out of the pockets of middle-class families. Sanders 2016. I love you guys. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>